So good morning. If anyone is just joining us, I'm Joel, and I am honored, privileged to serve you. If you're joining us online, welcome to Heart City Church. I invite you to turn in your Bibles, or we can find it in your bulletin, to Deuteronomy chapter 18. It's the fifth book of the Bible. It's towards the beginning. We're going to look at a very weighty text. There's actually a recent pop song, and there's a line in it that I find to be weighty. The group, A Great Big World, recorded the song, Is There Anybody, or the album is called, Is There Anybody Out There? Is There Anybody Out There? And the song is called, Say Something. If you hear this line, you can feel its desperation. Over and over you hear this line in the song, Say something, I'm giving up on you. Have you heard that before? I first heard it while I was watching a movie called The 33. And the song actually really captures the weightiness of this true event. It was based, the movie The 33 is based on the 2010 Capiapo mining accident in Chile, where a cave-in left 33 copper miners buried alive, 700 meters below ground, with 700,000 metric tons of the hardest rock on the planet above them. No way to escape. No knowledge if anybody knows you're even down here. They're running out of time, running out of resources. For 17 days, they were trapped in excruciating heat, completely cut off from the world above. Imagine you being down there in the darkness. What would you begin to think after one day and then three days and then a week and then two weeks and no word from above? Say something I'm giving up on you. Friends, if we're honest, each and every one of us gets this scene of desperation. It gets us in our heart. We've all found ourselves in the darkness, calling out for help from above. And we look back on how we got ourselves into this mess. Okay, the cave-in isn't our fault. We were born into a world of disasters, constant disasters. But nobody here is innocent. We all look back and we see how we put ourselves in this darkness. The darkness and the weight pressing in on us is of our own making as we look back at a trail of destruction we've left in relationships and other things. Have you ever felt in that darkness the weight of your sin and your shame pressing in on you like 700 metric tons? I am so glad you're here today. Friends, today is actually day 17 and a drill bit is about to break into the darkness of our cavity i invite you to turn to deuteronomy 18 if you're not there already but first let us pray let us go to the lord father will you say something to all of us here our time is short our need is so great do something momentous in the mere moments we have that we may rest in relief that only you can give we believe help our unbelief we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 15. Now hear the word of the Lord. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. 
just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. There is major weight when you come to Deuteronomy 18. I want you to imagine being an Israelite listening to, that was Moses who was just speaking. And Deuteronomy is Moses' swan song. Moses is now an old man, and he's giving his final speech to the people of Israel before he goes up on the mountain to die. For 400 years, the 12 tribes of Israel had been like those miners in Chile, crying out to God. They were trapped with no escape as slaves, dying in the Egyptian heat, hoping, calling out to God for rescue. And then God broke in, and they found relief finally. This mess started in Genesis. In Exodus, God sends these people in all this distress, in this darkness, a prophet. Moses, who led the people out of bondage, he then brought them to God's holy mountain, and he provided them with instructions, the Ten Commandments, through Moses, his prophet. After Exodus, then you have Leviticus, where God gives instruction on life and worship through Moses. Then you read the book of Numbers, the fourth book in the Bible, where Moses leads Israel for 40 years throughout the wilderness. Do you realize that every person in this crowd listening to Moses have looked to him their whole life? He's been their lifeline. And then you come to Deuteronomy and Moses says, I'm going away. The time has come for me to die. Can you imagine how hard this would be? Moses has spoken them words of life, words of hope, words of comfort, instruction to know how to live. Like that borehole in the Chile mine. He'd been providing them food, messages, instructions. Moses had been their direct connection to God. And now he's leaving. The borehole's about to get shut tight. You think this would be a heavy moment? And then Moses says these wonderful words in Deuteronomy 18:15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. Oh, wonderful. Moses is saying that after he is gone, God's going to continue to speak the words of life. God's going to raise up another prophet and they shall listen to him. This would be such a comfort to the people. God was going to continue to speak to them through one of their brothers. They needed another prophet, someone who could be that pipeline from above. And they couldn't reach God on their own. They actually came up to the mountain we hear about there. Friends, God is not some cosmic Santa Claus character up in the clouds. The people came to the mountain and they saw the terror of Almighty God. The clouds, the darkness, the fire, everything. And the moment God started to talk, they knew they could not handle God speaking to them directly. It made them tremble. Friends, God's wrath, his holy wrath against sinful men is like 700 metric tons of weight ready to crush us. 
You see, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve committed cosmic treason, they plunged this whole world, all of us, into darkness, out of God's holy presence, with no way to fix ourselves, much less try and get through that to back to him. That is why God, beginning at this point, has started a rescue plan, beginning with the prophets. God established Moses to be the first prophet, his pipeline to provide hope and instruction. And now God, going to close this one up, but he speaks of a future prophet. Reiterated, notice in verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Moses repeats this promise. They just said in 15, but notice there's, the speaker changes. The first time it's Moses' voice. The Lord will raise up a prophet from among you. The second time, whose voice is it? I. Yeah, it's God's. I will raise up a prophet from among their brothers. Do you see what this repetition is showing us? That Moses is speaking words directly from God. God made Moses his personal mouthpiece. But it's not going to end with Moses. God will raise up another prophet and put his words in his mouth too. God proclaimed through a mouthpiece what his people needed. And guess what? Through a human mouthpiece, what we need has not changed. It has not changed in our day. We're starting today a three-part short sermon series entitled Marks of a True Church. Some of us here are members of Heart City Church. Some of us may be thinking about becoming members. Some may be visiting. Maybe you're looking for a church. Maybe you're online right now. You're checking out Heart City. Well, if you simply Google churches near me, you're going to have a ton of choices, right? Maybe you desire a particular denomination. Maybe a particular style of worship. Maybe you want great children's programs. All that's fine. That's well and good. But what you should be first looking for is whether it's a true church whether it's a true church. Here's what Jesus says in Revelations 2.5. He says, I will remove my lampstand from certain churches. Do you realize that Jesus removes his presence from churches that forget their first love, that fall away? I'm saying this because, friends, I do not want you to join a church where Jesus is absent. That will make shipwreck your soul. So, Joel, how can you tell the difference between a true church and a false church? Actually, the Belgic Confession talks about how the marks of a true church are known by these three things. If the pure doctrine of the gospel is preached therein, if she maintains a pure administration of the sacraments, and also if church discipline is administered, exercise and punishing of sin. So what should we be looking for in a true church? Three marks. Faithful preaching of the gospel the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism, and then discipline to promote the purity and to provide protection against our enemies, Satan and sin. Scripture actually teaches throughout it that preaching sacraments and discipline, they demonstrate Christ's presence is in that church. Specifically, what I want us to see as we go through this series, we discover Jesus' presence as our prophet, our priest, and our king. Jesus shows himself to be our final prophet and through faithful preaching of his word. Jesus shows himself to be our high priest through the faithful administration of the sacraments, baptism, Lord's Supper. And Jesus shows himself to be our king in ruling and defending us from his and our enemies. 
Today we're going to focus on preaching and our final prophet, Jesus Christ, who as our catechism teaches, he reveals to us, as our prophet reveals to us by his word and spirit, the will of God for our salvation. And the office of prophet is hugely important in the New Test- Old Testament. That's why I read for that first text. The prophets were God's lifeline to the people. Having God's word was the matter of life and death. That's why God established a line of prophets throughout the Old Testament. We hear famous ones like Samuel. We hear of Elijah and Elisha after that. I've been actually reading in my personal study through Jeremiah. In chapter 1, verse 9, you've got this young fellow, Jeremiah, who's trembling and afraid to go and speak to the people on God's behalf. And God says to him, or verse 9 says, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Actually, that's what we heard in Deuteronomy 18, right? With this encouragement, Jeremiah then could go and proclaim God's word as many other prophets did. But throughout the Old Testament, and the Old Testament's pretty big, right? Everyone's still waiting. When is that great prophet that Moses prophesied, when's he going to come? And actually, after the Old Testament, there's another 400 years of silence. Israel's history starts off with 400 years in Egypt of silence. It ends with another 400 years. Say something, I'm giving up on you. And then the New Testament opens and the greatest prophet to date arrives, John the Baptist. And everyone's like, Is, are you the guy? Are you the guy? And he says, no, I'm not even worthy to tie this guy's shoelaces. There's another guy coming. Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 to 3, we hear about the final prophet, Jesus Christ. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The author of Hebrews, this is one of the most powerful passages in the Bible. He tells us God spoke in the past by the prophets, yes. But in these last days, God has now spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus is the final prophet, prophesied way back at the beginning of the Bible. Moses noted how God was going to raise up a prophet like them. But to be like them, that also means the opposite, that he is also unlike them. You realize that? Did you hear Hebrews, what it just said? Jesus is the one through whom God created the whole world, this place we're standing on right now. But he's also the one upholding the entire Milky Way galaxy in one hand. Oh, and by the way, right now what he's doing, he's holding you by gravity down in your chair so you don't float off into space. Praise be to Jesus. Jesus is fully God. And he is the word of God being with God from the beginning, as John tells us in John chapter 1. The word became flesh, raised up from among the brothers of Israel. And John's writing because John, Peter, and James, right in the middle of Jesus' ministry, Jesus brings them up on a mountain, and they see Jesus glorified, transfigured. Oh, and they also see Elijah, and they see Moses, these other great prophets. They're like, yay, God send them back. And God says, no, listen to him. Listen to Jesus, my son. 
Jesus came to be the final prophet, but he also came to take upon himself that crushing weight, 700 metric tons, by taking God's wrath upon himself on the cross that we all deserve. And then he was raised from the dead and he returned to heaven so that he could pour out his spirit, his Holy Spirit, because Jesus can only be in one place at a time on earth, right? But God wanted to now equip many men with the Spirit to go out and be the mouthpiece of God. Acts begins. This is the story of the early church now taking up the rescue mission to bring the good news to men. I actually want to read um, an early sermon from Acts 3. The Holy Spirit's poured out in Acts chapter 2. In Acts 3, Peter gives this sermon right after he has healed a man who couldn't walk. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. It's not in your text. Acts chapter 3. I'm only going to make just a few comments. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. Peter and James go in the temple, heal this man. And then Peter says, as they're all just amazed at this man now walking who couldn't walk, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Peter's preaching the gospel and it's bad news first. Peter's talking to a huge crowd, telling them how God raised Jesus from the dead. And Peter said, you delivered him over. You denied him. You killed the author of life. Have you ever sat under preaching where a preacher said, you're a murderer? It's heavy, ain't it? Not likely. This is what preaching in the early church did. Read through the book of Acts. Read through the book of Acts. Actually, think about this. Do you think every person that Peter's talking to was part of the conspiracy to kill Jesus? Not likely. No. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been listening to a sermon and you're sitting there and suddenly you feel like the preaching is directed just at you? It's stabbing just you in the heart. And you're just like, there's nobody else in the room right now. How does he know what's going on? And how is he speaking to me? Friends, that's the Holy Spirit. That's how God works today. The Holy Spirit piercing your heart. And suddenly you start to realize that you stand guilty at Christ's cross. You put him there. The only innocent man to ever walk the planet. I do hope you've experienced that at some point in your life. I do. What do you mean, Joel? Listen to what John Stott says. Before you can begin to see the cross as something done for you, good news, you must understand it is something done by you. Bad news. There must come a realization that Jesus Christ was crushed because of your cosmic treason. And when you acknowledge that, only then can you begin to see the glory of the cross. That bore away your 700 metric tons that you could never ever bore through or get off your back. 
That's the good news, what Jesus has done. Peter goes on. So what are we supposed to do? Well, Peter goes on, faith and repentance. Listen to Peter, verse 16. And his name, Jesus' name, by faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of holy prophets long ago. Moses said, remember, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. I invite you to meditate more on what's going on there. So we'll make a few quick points. This sermon calls them, after delivering the bad news, to faith in Christ and repentance of their sins, even those once done in ignorance. They are to believe in God's love in Christ, to come to him, as Mike told us this morning, that come, and they are to repent. They are to turn away from the former path they're on, and their sins will be forgiven. Here's an illustration of that. I've been tasked many times with taking one or more folks to some kind of distant destination I've been driving and more than once I've taken the wrong way in ignorance and then I hear this hey Joel from the back seat you're, you're going the wrong way and there's usually some sign up there to confirm this now deep down I absolutely hate this I hate it anybody feeling me <laughs> I'm lost and I don't know the way what is repentance? It begins with that sinking feeling that I'm on the wrong path. But instead of stubbornly and pridefully continuing down that wrong path with a red face, I must turn around and resolve to go the right way. And when I do that, I begin to feel increasing joy and thankfulness, gratefulness. <laughs> I'm going the right way now. That is what repentance is. That is what preaching, faithful preaching, is to prompt. Faith in Christ and repentance following God's path. That's why the apostles go out everywhere after this point, preaching the gospel, boring holes, drills into all these hard places on earth to whoever will hear and listen. Do you know that one out of every four words in the book of Acts is preaching? Preaching is the way that God changes the world, brings it to all the families of the earth, as we heard at the end of that sermon. The early church made their mark by making preaching a mark of the church. And one more thing, notice how Peter said that God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, he lists this again and again, that Christ must suffer. All the prophets were predicting this rescue plan, and then Peter quotes actually Moses, what we read in Deuteronomy 18, that Jesus 
was that final promised prophet, the long-awaited one. They must listen to him. How does that impact us today? Joel, uh, Jesus is up there in heaven. How are we supposed to listen to Jesus when he's up there in heaven? Look at Romans 10, 13 through 14. It's in your bulletin. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, you just heard a small difference in what I read and what was in your bulletin. I'm reading an alternate translation, which is often marked by a footnote in Bibles. And how are they to believe in him who or whom they have never heard? The problem stems from a translation of the Greek direct object of the Greek verb akuo, to hear. You hear acoustic. Akuo functions differently with the genitive. It's rarely, rarely translated of whom. I know a Greek lesson here doesn't probably help us. Greek grammar is not fun. You're like, okay, what's this about, Joel? Here's the point. Whom is the right rendering here? And it makes all the difference in the world how we understand preaching. Who is the who or the whom that we hear from preaching? Verse 13, what did it say? The Lord. Paul's point is that faithful preaching of God's word is nothing less than the voice of Jesus Christ speaking to you. That's what Paul's saying. This ought to humble every single one of us the moment the service starts, especially the preacher. Because God uses the weak and foolish things to display his glory and to build your faith. Any of you come here needing a faith boost this week? (laughs) Yeah. Do you need to hear the good news in a bad news world? Yes. So if you don't want to come to Heart City, that's fine. But go to a church where you can hear Jesus, the Lord of the universe, speaking directly to you every Sunday in a special way. Good news coming from a mouthpiece of God that salvation has come. As Paul goes on to explain, that's why I quoted from Isaiah 52, the happy feet of the guy bringing the good news. Anybody notice my happy feet when I ran down here? Yeah. Once a week... Pastor Joel has the most beautiful feet of everyone here in this room. We can argue about it after this, and you're probably right. But right today, right now, I have the most beautiful feet in this room. My feet are beautiful because I get to deliver the good news that the Father sent his Son into our darkness so that this cavity we find ourselves in won't be our grave. In fact, the good news is that it's just the countdown now till we're topside. Till we're topside. That is why preaching the Bible faithfully, which is God's word coming down, is a true mark of the church. We don't need here entertainment, games, skits, stuff like that to spice things up. We're a small church trusting the word faithfully preached will get it done. And that we need not be ashamed that we're here and we're here about the gospel. Hear it preached. I appreciate uh, Pastor Harry Reeder's illustration about God's Word. Perry Reeder, he's a pastor I really love, a friend. He tells a story when he was 16, and his dad bought him a 57 Ford at an auction. And Harry was so excited about this until he got out in the backyard and saw what it was. It was a pink or coral car, as his dad put it. 
And Harry said, Dad, I can't drive this, this pink car. And his dad said this, Son, a poor ride is better than a proud walk. You can walk or you can drive this. And Harry said he was just so shamed and red-faced until he opened up and saw what was under the hood. I know Mike probably will be the only one who understands this well. He had a 392 with two four-barrels. And Harry then said to me, he said, uh, my Christian humility keeps me from bragging, but I couldn't tell you how many Thunderbirds, Vets, and Chevys he sucked right up his tailpipe. <laughs> he owned them in that pink car. Friends, that is what the Word of God is. It may look weak to the world, it may look foolish, but it will get it done. The power of God is found under the cover of this Word for any who simply believe. It will get us where we want to go, even if it does look like a poor ride. That's why Paul writes in our last passage, 2 Timothy 3, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And after showing the power and profitability of God's Word, Paul adds to Timothy, the preacher, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul charges Timothy to see he has been commissioned by Almighty God to preach the word. Preaching is absolutely necessary for the well-being of all those that God desires to save. Paul is saying the preacher must ever preach with his eyes fixed on eternity on the coming of Christ, this immutable kingdom that's one day near today, while recognizing all the challenges that we face while we're here in this dark world. People will want quick fixes that suit their own desires. They will hear something profound that rings their bell, and they'll be prone to wander. Read the rest of Deuteronomy 18, actually, later. It's all about false prophets versus the true one. It's the same in Timothy's day, false prophets. It's true today, friends. And I've known souls who have been led into errors and myths, not in true churches. So here's the application as I close. First, listen to him. Listen to him, to Jesus. This is why I tell you to read your Bibles on your own. I send out my sermon text every Friday. If you're not on the email list, let me put you on there. Get a hold of me. Read these texts over. Study them for yourself so that you're not trusting me alone for your soul care. See if what I'm preaching here is actually what's there. And pray for me so that I might have clarity so I can preach faithfully to God's glory, so I can preach a word in season with right instructions for our good. And pray that I'll do it with power. That's what empowered the... Acts Church. Pray that the Holy Spirit will be given that I can actually preach with power so that it will impact your hearts and your lives.
so we can endure during our time here in this dark place. Think about what would happen to those miners if they got bad instructions about sanitation in that place. Think about what would happen if they decided to explore tunnels on their own. Think about all the fighting that could happen, the friction in these groups. Timothy's role was to be one providing correction, instruction, encouragement. Think of being in darkness for 69 days. They needed instructions. They needed supplies. They needed medicines to prevent ulcers from, from all the deprivation, from not having food. They needed someone to warn them about how do you keep the cave sanitary. They needed therapy sessions to help deal with the stress. I was thinking about how Paul adds he's to do this with complete patience. Paul sure seems that pulls out that patience card a lot. <laughs> you ever pray for patience? God, we hurry up and give me some patience right now. Yeah, patience is something we struggle with, right? We're talking about patience in our Thursday study. So my second point is patience is the call for all of us, not just the pastor, not just the preacher. We need to trust that God has broken through. He's given us his word. And our rescue is just a matter of trusting, obeying, and counting down the days. We need to be a patient community here with one another, showing that we actually believe the good news. In fact, we're the only ones who have the good news. People need to see we're a good news community. We're going to be rescued. We got a direct lifeline to our God. Those miners were in that dark place for 69 days. From day 17 on, they came from above, came regular deliveries, regular instructions. And they had to patiently wait until day 69 came. I want to close with this. Do you know how they were rescued? They developed a specially made capsule that they could get down this shaft that they drilled. And one by one, each of those 33 climbed into this capsule and one by one, they're witched out before an estimated crowd of like 5 million people. There are all these people watching it online and on TV. I want to leave you with that picture in your mind. The only way that we can escape this darkness that we're born into is by means of the capsule that God has provided for you, and it's the Christ capsule. The Christ capsule. From the moment you first believe and receive the good news that God has not given up on you, you can trust that God has sent you a lifeline each and every Sunday to sustain you, that God knows where you are. He has a rescue plan underway to get you out of here. But actually, from the moment you first believe, you're actually already in that capsule. You're in Christ. You are found in Jesus. And that means even if the whole mountain comes down on you, and sometimes it feels like that, you're still safe. You're still safe. In fact, you'll soon be topside with this huge crowd, a heavenly host, cheering on that Christ has saved another. Been looking forward to seeing you, Mike. Been looking forward to seeing you, Casey, Cindy. Been looking forward to it. And you'll never, ever, ever know the darkness again. Only joy forevermore. To the praise of God the Father and Christ Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us in these last days through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask and pray that you'll continue to help us to believe this good news. I pray that in our congregation here, that we will live it out in a world where there are so many helpless and hopeless people, 
that we might show them the hope that we have within us. Will you empower us by your spirit to be a good news congregation? Lord, help us to find a faithful place to be where we can hear your son if it's not here. And Lord, I ask and pray just if any of us still has a heart of stone right now, today, will that, we make today the day that you bore a hole into that heart, that heart and bring into it your saving grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.